This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. You can find Colossians chapter 1 in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's some scattered around in the back of chairs, underneath of some chairs. You're welcome to use one of those. We're in a series in Colossians here at Nags Head Church called Stand Firm and uh, going through the book of Colossians. And this is our seventh week, and we're now all the way up to verse 9 in chapter 1. Last week we took a week off, and uh, did you all appreciate Sam Knight and his ministry last Sunday? Uh, Sam did a great job, and had some of you think so. And so... Um, I heard so many people say, next time Sam preaches, you need to just warn us to bring tissues. So I guess he got some of you just slinging snot and everything else, and, uh, and, and sometimes that's a great thing. So I appreciate Sam and his ministry um, last Sunday, and uh, he's a great, great guy. Pray for Sam in seminary. Pray for the seminary, uh, too. Um, uh, we, we, one of the things I've done this past week, let me encourage you uh, to do, um, we, uh, we're believers in prayer here, and we're going to talk about that this morning quite a bit. Um, and we want you to all, one of, one of the things that we need to pray about, one group of people that we need to pray for are our missionaries, and we have a lot of missionaries that our church is involved in their lives. And uh, this past week I posted on our Facebook uh, page, I posted um, a, uh, a report from several of our missionaries that we got. I got. I get emails from them, their newsletters, and I, you know, I'm, I'm learning all the time. Last night I was I was babysitting uh, my one-year-old grandson and my three-year-old granddaughter, and they, there was a video on TV they were watching, and it, you know, gets to the end of the DVD, and I don't know how to change it and how to restart it, how to do anything because they don't have normal people remote controls. They've got game remote controls, and I didn't know what to do, and, and doggone if my three-year-old granddaughter didn't get up on the sofa, reach up to where the remote control is, and press a button and start the thing over again, you know? I'm learning to do some of those things. How many of you kind of can relate to what I just said? You know, we learned from three-year-olds, and um, I, we posted some newsletters on our Facebook page. That's where I was going from some of our, from the Annabies, from the Glocks, and one of the uh, Petersons, I believe. And uh, so I hope that you'll um, check those out. And as they come in from our missionaries, we'll put those on so you can read those and pray about those. I, I love it here at Nags Head Church that we have so many young believers in our church. And that makes it exciting. Um, well, I think this year we've uh, I don't know the exact count, but about 25. We've baptized about 25 new believers already. We've got another baptism scheduled for uh, December, so I'll be praying about that. But being in a church with uh, new believers is like, you know, like being in a, in a home with new babies. And, uh, and, and, and it's exciting time, but it also can be messy and also can bring a lot of inconvenience. Uh, some of our new parents uh, who are here, and we got a lot of new babies in our church right now, can relate to this. You know, it's, it's exciting to have that new little one, but doggone it, don't you long for the day when you can get a whole night's sleep again, you know? And you say, and well, would you trade that little one in for a good night's sleep? And the answer, of course not. 
You know, we, want, we love that little one, and we'll do whatever we have to do, you know, to sacrifice. You're getting ready for that, Chad. Are you listening to me, son? It's getting ready to hit you hard. You're going to be coming into church for months, and your eyes are going to be drooping, and, and you're going to be worn out, and, and you, you just, you're going to be just slammed, beaten up by this little one that has taken over your life. But the rewards are great, aren't they? And we love little ones. And in our church, we have so many young Christians. And we intentionally set out years ago to be a church where seekers, people who previously had no church in their lives, where they could come and discover life in Christ and grow. I was told last week, and I know what's said in our connection groups. We have a little saying, what's said in connection groups stays in connection groups, you know. But I'm going to share something that was said in one of our groups. I don't know who said it, so I'm not, not going to reveal that. But it, it just kind of just reinforces what we're talking about here. But in one of our connection groups last week, someone made this statement. This is why we love Nags Head Church. Now listen to what they said. We needed a church with training wheels. Yeah, remember when you had to learn, to, when you learned to ride a bike? Your parents remember when you taught your little ones how? And, you know, you had the bikes come with those training wheels, but you said, I ain't putting those things on for you, boy. You're going to learn to ride without it. And you got him on it, and, you, you know, you shoved him down the road, and he fell over 16 times, and he got up bloodied and scarred and scabbed and everything else. Finally, he learned how to ride that bike, but he paid a tremendous price, you know, to do so. Is that how you parented your children? Probably not. You put the training wheels on so they could get a little confidence before you took them off so they could ride without them and not fall so much. Uh, I love that. that what, a, what a great thing. We needed a church with training wheels, and here's what they said. They went on and said, because we didn't know where to start. That's awesome. Paul says to these young Christians here in Colossae, in this prayer that he prays, here's where you start. And you may say, well, you know, I'm not a new believer though, Rick. And I'm not either. I've been a Christian for 46 years, I think. I'm not a new believer, but maybe you need a jump start. Maybe your faith has been installed in neutral for a while. Maybe you've been spinning your wheels. Maybe you've fallen away or fallen off and you need to get back on. Well, here's where you need to start as well. So it's a great passage this morning. Paul believed in the power of prayer. I'm sure that if he was able, he would have loved to have spent time with the Colossians and gone to them to teach them and disciple them and, and spend time with them, love them in person. But he wasn't able to do that. And the reason he wasn't able to do that was because Paul was where? He was in prison when he wrote this. But he could do one thing in prison that you and I can do anywhere, anytime in our lives, and that is he could pray for them. Don't let anybody ever tell you you can't pray where you are. You know, I hear people talk about, well, we, we can't pray in schools anymore. Baloney. Yeah, you can. You students, you can pray in school. Nobody can stop you from praying. How in the world are they going to stop you from praying? Buddy, every time I went and took a final exam, I was, in, I was, I was praying hard, you know. Uh, but, but I remember people say, well, we took prayer out of schools, and that was the ruin of our country. Here's what was the ruin of our country. It wasn't that we said you can no longer say the Lord's Prayer or say a prayer. Here, here's what happened. We didn't teach our kids how to go ahead and pray anyway. We didn't teach them that it doesn't have to be a formal prayer led by a teacher to be prayer. We didn't do that. And I remember because I grew up in that generation where when we started school, when I was in school, we prayed at lunchtime in school, in public school. We prayed at the beginning of the day. And then they said, oh, we can't do that anymore. So we quit praying. 
We need to teach our kids. We need to teach our, our young people. We, we all need to realize nobody can stop me from praying anytime, anywhere. Right? Keep that in mind. Paul believed in prayer. We do as well. And I know Paul wished he could have been there, but he couldn't be. So what he does is he sends this letter, and, and in the opening part of this letter, he says, here's what I'm praying for you all, and he gives a list. Three things in these verses this morning we're going to look at and break this prayer down into these three things that he hoped for these believers at Colossae. And then next Sunday, if you come back, we're going to find out why he prayed those three things in, in the next two verses. So I hope you've got your Bible open to Colossians 1 and you're ready to write some things down as we learn together. Number one, jot this down. Fill up. He said, here's what I'm praying for you. I want you to fill up a knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. Look at verse 9. For this reason also since the day we heard this. What did they hear? You bounce back to verse 8. We heard about your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Fill up. You know, what you fill your mind with, and we fill our minds up with stuff every day, all day long, what you fill your mind with will determine the choices that you make and the worldview that you have. How you fill your mind? Paul wrote to the Roman church that God wants to renew our minds in Romans 12, verse 1. Why? Why do our minds need renewing? Because until we become Christ followers, until the day when you trust Jesus as your Savior, your mind is consuming the world's wisdom and the world's knowledge. And a lot of our new believers, it was great. We had our baptism a few weeks ago because we baptize four adults and three of the four are kind of, up in, their, up in their years, up in their 50s, you know, and they're new Christians, and, and, and they've got all this past, all these years, all these decades of life where the world's wisdom's being pumped into our minds. And, and we have to do kind of like what we do with our computers. You ever get your computer and, and it starts running really, really slow, and, uh, and, you know, it's just not, and, and it crashes on you or it freezes up on you and you realize what I got to do is I got to go and dump. I got to clean out stuff. I got to go and, 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 and find all the stuff that's slowing it down and put it in the trash and get rid of it. So you, you go and you get rid of these viruses and you get rid of all these things that, that come into your computer that foul it up. And then once you get rid of all that stuff, man, it starts working like it's supposed to again. We need to do that with our minds. We need to dump out the stuff that's there that doesn't belong, that doesn't fit within the will of God. We need to have our minds cleansed. We do that with our computers. We ought to do that with our own brains, I think. Well, Paul's prayer is this. I want, your, I want you to be filled, your mind filled with the knowledge of God's will. Uh, let me jump in and say that, that word filled, uh, just thinking about this in between our gatherings this morning, the word filled, I didn't talk about this at the, at the last service, but filled means there's not room for anything else, doesn't it? If something's filled with, if your glass is full of milk, I mean full, you, you can't put anything else in it. God wants our minds to be filled so that there's not room for anything else in our minds but the knowledge of God's will. Now, like you, I've made a lot of choices in my life that were not the will of God. I confess that to you. I can, if you want time to sit down and talk about it, I'll go back and tell you some things that I've done. And after I did, I said, oh, I realized that was not what God wanted for me. And I had to live with the consequences 
of those choices. And sometimes those choices that I made made sense to some people, but they weren't what God wanted for me. And it makes me wish, don't you wish, I played golf last week with some friends, this reunion I went to, I played golf with a friend of mine, and it was just the two of us playing together, and nobody else was watching, nobody else was paying attention, and it was Mulligan City in our golf game. You know what mulligans are. Mulligans are do-overs. I mean, I had one hole, this 17th hole was a par three, you had to hit over a pond onto the green. I hit three balls in the water before I finally got one over on dry land. And I said, mulligan, 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 mulligan. Do-over, you know. I didn't count them. You know, we just, why? Because we could? Because nobody else was watching because we weren't on TV? But life's not like that, is it? We don't get do-overs. We don't get mulligans in life. God wants you and me to know his will for us. His will is his plan, his purpose, his standards, so that we can make choices that honor him. Well, what's the best way to know the will of God, Rick? Would you let me in on that secret? And I said, sure, I can let you in. It's not a secret. Look at this verse. You're, you're familiar with this verse. The psalmist wrote these words in Psalm 119. Read this with me. Let's say them together. Read this with me together. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. How do I know the word of God, how the will of God? I know his word. I get into his word. If you'll become a student, listen to me, a student of this book, a student does what? Studies. If you become a student of this book, you'll begin to be filled with the knowledge of God's word. That's why we teach it here on Sunday mornings. That's what our kids are being taught upstairs right now. It's what our kids, our youth will be taught this evening in our youth group. It's what our connection groups uh, get together and learn about throughout the week. It's what Pastor Steve's classes, today's the last day of his class, discovering the basics and where he gives us the tools to get started uncovering the treasures that are found in this book, in the Word of God. Here's where you're going to learn, in this book, here's where you're going to learn the will of God. Paul says, I'm praying for you to seek to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. But he goes beyond that. Not only his will, but he said, in all wisdom. Wisdom, what's that? Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge to life. Wisdom is, let's say it another way, wisdom is that ability to avoid stupid choices and to make the best ones. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. The New Testament letter written by James, all about wisdom. In fact, James tells us in chapter 1 that if we want wisdom, you know what we have to do to get it? What does he say? Ask for it. Ask God for it, and he'll give it to you. Here's where you'll learn. The will of God is in God's word. Here's where you'll get wisdom, is in God's word as you apply what you've learned to life. Wisdom is part of the maturing process. You know, it's supposed to be the, the older. There's a verse in the Bible that talks about gray hair being a sign of wisdom. Isn't there? All you gray-headed people, you are some wise. Well, maybe not, because there's also a saying somewhere that I've heard, there's no fool like an old fool. You know, so I, you know, wisdom is saying I, I'm just because I got gray hair doesn't necessarily mean I'm wise. Maybe that's why a lot of people cover it up and make it different colors. I don't know. Wisdom. God wants us to be full of wisdom, and the older you become, the more wisdom you should have. Seek to be filled, He says, with wisdom, and then He couples that wisdom with spiritual understanding. Well, what is He talking about there, Rick? I really believe 
spiritual understanding is a way to say, possess a Christian worldview, a godly worldview, a biblical worldview, however you want to say it. As you see things in life, you begin to understand them in the light of the word of God and how this word and how the, this world and how the purposes of God are, are most of the times at odds with each other. The world and God seem to be battling each other all the time. Have you discovered in your Christian walk that there's a tug of war going on in your heart? You see, on one side, you're being pulled by the world, by people, by voices, by everything else in this world that says, come, come on and come with us, do what we do. And yet, you know, on the other side, you're being pulled by the word of God. You're being pulled by Christ. You're being pulled by his people. No, no, no. Follow Christ and give up those ways. And there's this tug of war that goes on. Happens in my life. I'm guessing it happens to you. Spiritual understanding. If we don't have spiritual understanding, if we have a lack of it, it means we are spiritually naive. Naive means we kind of think with childlike mind. You know, we, you could take little kids, and I like to do this sometime with my grandkids, and especially I like to do this with other people's little kids, but get them to do something silly, you know, and, uh, and watch them imitate you, watch them do something, and they don't know any better. Why don't they know any better? Because they're naive. Christian spiritual understanding is to keep us from being spiritually naive. God wants us to be filled with spiritual knowledge so we don't get fooled. Be filled with the knowledge of his will and with wisdom. Those are basic. Those are first steps. And they're so important for a reason. And Paul goes into the reason. Why do I need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, with wisdom, with spiritual knowledge? Why do I need to be filled with those things? Why? So we can, number two, so that we can walk worthy of the Lord. Look at verse 10. So that you're filled with those things, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. The word walk, Paul, and, and John uses it too in his, his writings in the New Testament. The word walk was a, was a great way of Paul, one of Paul's favorite ways to say, live this kind of life. Walking means, if I'm walking, you know, picture me walking right now, you, anybody, if I'm walking, you know what that means? It means I'm not standing still. Can't stand still and walk at the same time. Walk, have this kind of lifestyle. We're hopefully headed in the right direction, and, and here the direction is what? Walk how? Walk worthy of the Lord. That's the direction. Our walk as Christians is to be one that follows Christ, imitates Christ, does what Christ would do, says what Christ would say, chooses what Christ would choose. Following Christ means that we are in agreement with him. When we're in agreement with somebody, we're in fellowship with that person. Amos writes this in Amos chapter 3, verse 3 in the Old Testament. It says, you know, this, you know the Bible would get so much, it's so full of just common sense stuff that can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? If you go out today and say with somebody and say, let's go for a walk on the beach and you get to, and let's go for a walk on the beach and you get to the beach and one of you goes north and one of you goes south, you're not walking together. You're going for a walk, but you're not together. 
You have to be in agreement, the word says. And John uses the same idea of walking as being in fellowship with Christ. In 1 John chapter 1, I want to read the right verses this time, last gathering. You know, when you get a new Bible, I told you when I bought this Bible, this is a new Bible I have, and it's a new Bible. Things are on different pages, kind of like, you know, I was used to everything. I knew where everything was, and now I don't know where anything is, and I can get easily confused until I figure this Bible out, all right? So I messed up last time, read the wrong verses. I even highlight them in yellow so I know the right verses to read. It's no fun getting old, but if you, if you um, that's what I'm trying to say. Chapter 1, verse 6, 1 John, he says this, if we say, if we say, if we say the words, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk, again, that's how I live, we walk in darkness, we're lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, you and me, and us with him. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then he drops down in verse chapter 2 and verse 6 and he says very simply, the one who says he remains in him. The one who says he lives in Christ, that Christ lives in me, that I am a Christian. The one who says that should walk just as he walked. If you're going to say the words, I follow Jesus, I'm a believer in Jesus, the Bible says, then live like it. The Bible, here's what it's saying. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Live the life. Because if you talk the talk and you don't walk the walk, you're nothing but a hypocrite. Exactly. Paul would tell the Galatian Christians in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, to walk in the Spirit, meaning you live your life guided by the Holy Spirit. So it could be said that to walk worthy of the Lord means to emulate and imitate Him. It's like playing follow the leader, only it's not a game. And notice as John said, and the scriptures there in 1 John, as John said, it's about our walk being more than our talk. It's easy to say, I love Jesus. It's easy in a group setting like this to sing, I love you, Lord. It's easy when all everybody else around me is doing it. But once I get out of this safe setting here, once I get out in the world at my job tomorrow or at school tomorrow, wherever I may be, The words get left behind. I need to begin to live the life. That's where it's really shown. Walk the walk. Don't just talk it. The proof of it is how you live, not what you say you believe. And later on in this book, as we get it further into it, especially in chapters 2 and 3, Paul's going to get really specific. It's going to make some of us squirm. I'm just going to let you know in advance. We're going to talk about the language that we use, because he does. We're going to talk about the kind of things that we do in our lives that maybe nobody sees but God and maybe one or two other people, the most intimate things in our lives, and God's going to say, hey, hey, that's not worthy of Christ. We're going to be challenged by some things here as we get into this book. Real specific. 
What happens when my lifestyle is worthy of Christ? What are some things that take place? Paul tells us here. First of all, he says, I'm fully pleasing to him. Fully pleasing to him. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, because none of us are. Fully pleasing to him. If I'm not perfect, what does that mean? Fully pleasing. It means this. When I make mistakes, when I sin, fully pleasing to him means I don't quit. I don't say, well, I can't do this, so I'm just going to go and live this kind of life. Fully pleasing to him means when I make mistakes, when I commit sin, I get back up on my feet. I confess my sin to him. I deal with it. I turn back to him, and I move ahead. I don't go backwards. That pleases him. You see, the great hypocrisy among believers is that when you and I pretend, and this is, this is us so much, that we pretend that we're okay and we smile like everything's hunky-dory, nothing's ever wrong in my life. You know how you, when you pull into the church parking lot, you turn and you look at everybody in your car and your family and say, okay, let's put on our Jesus face. You say, wait a second, I don't do that. I don't say that. No, it's not ever said, but it's implied, isn't it? I don't want anybody to know what's happened in my life. I don't want anybody to know my world's crashing in around me. I don't want anybody to know this week I stumbled and I fell and I blew it and I need somebody to help. I'm not going to let anybody in on that stuff in my life. I'm fully pleasing to him. Secondly, he said, when my lifestyle is worthy of Christ, I'm bearing fruit in every good work. Now, we're not saved by our good works. We know what the scripture teaches about that. But we are saved to do good works. And our good works that are done in humility and service to Christ will attract others to the gospel, we're told in the scripture. And then we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the gospel, that the gospel has to be heard. As people are attracted to what's happening in our lives, we have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But everything that we do as believers in my home, at work, around our coworkers, our customers, our clients, in front of our children, our neighbors, our classmates, our teachers, everything that I do in my life has the potential to bear fruit that will bring glory to God, everything. But the opposite of that is true as well. If that's true, then the other must be true, that everything that I do in my life has the potential of pushing people away from Jesus if it's not bearing fruit to the glory of God. I'm growing up, Paul says. How do I know I'm walking worthy of Christ? There's growth happening in my life. You know, if you picture your life as a Christian, as an oak tree, I have a lot of live oak trees in my front yard, and they are so pretty, but I'm going to tell you what. You, you, anybody else got live oaks? Here's the deal with live oaks. They don't have a, a fall season when they drop their leaves. They drop their leaves all year long. You can never get your yard clear of those leaves. But I was out looking yesterday at, at my trees because I've got some branches that need trimming. I looked on this live, and all over right now, all over oak trees are little tiny acorns. But the squirrels are getting excited because you know when they drop off on the ground, and I can watch them in my yard. They go find those things and they dig little holes and bury them, and then they come back in February and in the middle of the winter. They know where they buried those seeds, those acorns, and they dig them up so they've got something to eat. Picture your life as an oak tree. It starts with that little seed. It starts with that acorn. And as that seed gets watered 
And, and we get watered in our lives. Our lives get watered as we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God, as we're influenced in our lives by other maturing, growing believers. All that is like watering the seed. And as I said earlier, I've been a Christian for 46 years. And I know that I've still got a lot of growing to do because I know where I am in my life. And I know where I need to be. My life is supposed to be measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'm not anywhere close. Just last weekend, how do you get water? We were at a reunion, Gail and I, people that we went to college with back in the olden days, you know, how do we do college without computers? You know, how, do, how did that ever happen? You know, I'm, you know, w- without Google. I mean, we really had to research our papers, you know, go to the library and look stuff up. And then the kids today, they have no clue. I was, I was at a reunion and, and we sat around in a room about this size and, and a group of about, I don't know, 30 or 40 of us and and shared stories. And I heard, you know, I heard stories of people that have walked with God for years. One, one guy, is, I've known him since he was in high school. He was a friend of my brother's in high school. He spent his life, spent the last six years living in Afghanistan, working with refugees. He's getting ready to go in about two weeks to Turkey and work with refugees from Afghanistan and Iraq and Iran who are leave, fleeing those countries. That's what he's given his life to. But two years ago, his son, and if you went back and Googled this, you would remember the story. His son was one of 10 medical missionaries who were killed by the Taliban. His son, his 26, 27-year-old son. And I, and I, I listened as he shared his story. And as I listened to this guy who's younger than me, by a few years, not many, but I listened to him tell what God's been doing in his life. You know what was happening to me, to this oak tree? I was being watered, being challenged to put those branches out, to go up a little bit higher, to get a little bit closer to the Lord. It's so crucial to your growth in the knowledge of God, that you surround yourself with growing, maturing Christians. And those of you who are younger in the faith, God wants you to grow and mature. He doesn't want you to stay in the nursery. It would be weird if we went up, up back to our nurseries right in there, we walked in there, and there were six- and seven-year-old children sitting on the floor crawling around playing. You'd, you'd ask the question, what's going on? Something's wrong here. God doesn't want you to stay in the nursery. He wants you to start crawling. He wants you to start walking. He wants you to learn how to feed yourself from his word. He wants you to be able to explain to others about your faith. God wants us to grow. But walking worthy of the Lord isn't something, Paul says, that you and I can do on our own. It isn't even something we can do as a church unless we are empowered by God. Number three in your notes, be strengthened with all power. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Guess what? 
None of us here, not a single person in this room has what it takes to live the Christian life on our own. We don't have it. And to get empowered by his strength requires, and here's the, 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 the great thing about this whole, empowered by his strength means I have to surrender. Before I can be empowered by his strength, I have to give something up. I have to surrender my life to him for his strength to happen in my life. The word here that's translated might, be strengthened with all might, power according to his glorious might. It's an interesting word. It's only used in the New Testament as something God possesses. We're never said to, to possess this might. It says we are strengthened with his might. It's something only God has, this might. It's his empowerment. But here's the deal with it. He says, but I, I want to infuse you with it. It's me. I live inside of you. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he wants to infuse us with this might, this power. Paul understood this principle, by the way, so well. How, how, do, how do we have this power, this might, this strength? In 2 Corinthians 12, 10, remember this? He's talking about his physical limitations, things he could not do physically. And we don't know exactly what those things were. He said, I've got this thorn in the flesh that I just can't do some of the things I would like to do. But he said, I've realized this. When I am weak, then I'm strong. This power begins with surrendering and realizing I'm weak. We don't have, have within us what it takes to live this life. It takes Christ living it through us in his glorious might. It means I may, you know, I may have to humble myself before him and surrender whatever might and strength I think I have to him. And I look around this room, and, and I know some of your stories, and I know some of you have been through some really tough trials in your life. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's financial, maybe it's relational. But things in your life have not gone swimmingly. You've been through, through some tough things. You've been through some things that would have crumbled a lot of people, that would have made a lot of people quit and give up. And you even wonder sometimes, how in the world did I get through that? But then you catch yourself and you realize if you're a Christian, you know, it had to have been God. That's the only way it could have happened. And think about Christ for a second. Probably the hardest trial he endured was as he prayed in the garden. Remember his prayer, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He knew what was ahead in the next few hours with the cross and being forsaken by his father and bearing the weight of the world's sin. And he surrendered to his father's will. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he had the strength as he got up off his knees to pray. He had somehow the strength to take on our sin. What we need this powerful for, by the way, Paul says we'll need it for joyful, enduring patience. You think about it for a second. When you're called on to be patient in life, something's got you in a situation where you've got to be patient. Are you typically joyful about that, whatever that is? Me either. But again, look at Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We're told for the joy that lay before him, he endured a cross. He wants you and I to possess that same kind of strength and power that keeps us from giving up, that keeps us from quitting. And what I find really fascinating is this word patience here in the New Testament, in this passage of Scripture, it has with it, the, the Greek word has with it the idea of remaining under difficulties without caving in. What do you mean? My idea 
of patience is different than that. My nature doesn't want that kind of patience. When you know, I, I rarely pray, God, help me endure under this trial. That's not how I typically pray. You know how I pray? God, get me out of this trial. Patience says that we remain under the difficulties without caving in. Sometimes he wants us to go through the trial. So we need patience. And we also need, he says, long-suffering. And that carries with it the idea of enduring without retaliation, without payback. And again, that's against our human nature so often. I think long-suffering must be that attitude that Jesus says we need to have. And he talked about it in Matthew chapter, I think it's in chapter 5, where he said, somebody hit you upside the head, turn the other cheek. Don't retaliate. But he takes it one step farther. Man, this is getting tough. Patience, joy, long-suffering. He says, yeah, and give thanks to the Father. He wrote to the Thessalonian church, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And there we go, back to knowing the will. This is the will of God. Back to knowing God's will. We find it in the scriptures. And when you're going through a trial, maybe you lost your job, maybe you just got the bad diagnosis from the doctor, whatever it is, and your response to whatever that trial is in your life is one of thankful joy. Two reactions are going to come from those who know you, those you work with, those around you, your family. You're going to get one of two reactions. One's going to be, you have totally lost your mind. Or what is it in you that lets you have such a great attitude? And just like joy, the only way you and I can be thankful in times of crisis is to be empowered by the Father. And here's the flip side of the coin. When I'm going through trials and I'm going through crises in my life, while I'm bewildered at my circumstances, I can never forget that all of this is temporary. Just for a short season. This life is a speck in eternity, and God has enabled us, Paul says. He's made us fit. He's made us adequate for a share in the saints' inheritance. And that's a promise you and I, Christian, have to look forward to. This this is not the end of it all. And while this seems like a long time I'm going through this, really in the scheme of things, this is going to be over really quick. You know what your inheritance is, by the way? Maybe you've received an inheritance sometime in your life. Someone dies and leaves you a share of something, property or possessions, money in their will, and it becomes yours one day. Paul says we have a share in this inheritance of the saints, and what what do we share? Well, you and I who who know Christ are heirs of the Father's kingdom. We are co-heirs, Paul said, with Christ in Romans 8, 17. And since we are his children, we are heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's your inheritance. There's so much more awaiting us than what we're experiencing here on earth. Would you bow with me in prayer? Paul says, fill up on knowledge, wisdom, spiritual understanding. Walk worthy of of the Lord. Be strengthened with all power. Next Sunday, we're going to come back and see just why. What's been done to enable us to live this kind of life, to walk worthy of Christ? What did he do to make it happen? We'll talk about that next Sunday. Father, As Paul prayed for the Colossians, I pray for me, I pray for these.
that we would, in our lives, fill up with your knowledge and your wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we would walk in a way in our lives that's worthy of you, not in the darkness, but in the light, that we'd be strengthened with all power. And as we go through trials and difficulties and crises, Lord, we would we'd endure them thankfully with joy and patience. For this is your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, like Paul, we believe here in prayer. We pray for one another in our connection groups. We post active prayer needs on our Facebook page so everybody can join in with us. And Jesus told us to pray and to seek and to ask and to knock. And so we do. And as we move closer, the days to come to the election this year, our, our pastors here in our church, our elders, are asking us as a church to pray for America. And we're told, Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, to pray for all those who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And so what we've done is beginning this Friday, which is September 28th, from Friday to Election Day, November 6th, are 40 days. And as we've done in the past in our church's history, we've gone into some serious times with God in 40-day periods, and we're asking all of us here at Nags Head Church, and if you're our guests, we encourage you to join in with us to daily pray for our country and that God's will will be done. We're going to pray for our religious liberties to be protect, protected and be Preserved. I read the other day that the U.S. sent more than 127,000 Christian missionaries around the world in 2010, making us the largest missionary-sending nation in the world. We need to remain strong and free to continue to give support as churches to send missionaries. Uh, I believe we need to pray for America, don't you? I'll be posting things in the, in the coming days, coming weeks that we can be praying for during those 40 days. But here's our challenge this morning. If you'll make the commitment to pray sometime, starting Friday, sometime every single day for those 40 days, if you'll make the commitment, I will pray for my country. I will pray for my president. I'll pray for my leaders. I'll pray for the governors and, and everybody who, who leads us in this country. If you'll commit to, to praying sometime, I, I suggested the last gathering that, that uh, every time you drive down the road past a post office or a fire station or a business that's flying the flag, that that be a reminder. Can I, I can pray. You can pray while you're driving. Just don't close your eyes. But you can pray. Somebody even had a better suggestion. They said every time on TV a political commercial comes on the television, pray. I said, man, we'll be praying nonstop if we do that. If you'll make that commitment to pray, there is a banner on the wall right outside this door. You maybe saw it when you came in. There are some Sharpie pens on a table beside it. Just go up to that banner and write your name on it. This is my pledge to pray for my country. I hope you'll do that. If you're from out of town, you can, you can pray back home. But we want just God's people to be praying. Will you stand with us on that? Will you do that? God bless you. Father, thank you for the time of worship today. It's been good to be in this house with your people, to encourage one another and to sing to you and to open your word together. 
I pray you'll be pleased with our life. May this week we walk worthy of Jesus. May this week we not take a step, Jesus. That brings you shame. Whether it's in public or in private. Thank you for your challenge from Paul today. Thank you that you let him write this letter to this church and and that you have supernaturally preserved it 2,000 years for us today. God, we praise you for that. Give us a great week. Help us to be aware of who we are and our surroundings and who needs Christ around us. That our good works might bring you glory. In your name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.